This Prop Talk recording is a news and opinion product that is the property of Original Prop Blog LLC, all rights reserved. Original Prop Blog LLC is not responsible for any statements or opinions expressed by the guests of this program. Live on tape from the OPB studios in Northern California, it's Prop Talk. Brought to you by the original Prop Blog, we're making analog connections across the world. Each podcast features one-on-one chats with special guests to discuss the hobby of collecting original movie props and costumes. The original Prop Blog is the original source of news, information, and opinion about authentic popular culture artifacts and memorabilia from film and television. Now, let's join our host, Jason DeBorg. Well, welcome to uh, Prop Talk, and today my guest is Darren Julian of Julian's Auction. So, welcome, Darren. Hi, thank you very much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Um, you know, and, and obviously everyone knows about you and your company um, to some extent because you're really one of the two um, auction houses that just primarily deal in entertainment memorabilia. So um, I know this weekend you had a big auction where you you sold that thriller jacket um, that Michael Jackson wore. So I thought that would be kind of an interesting thing, just way to kick things off and talk a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it was a great auction for us. And, you know, the the Thriller jacket we've had since last fall, and it took us about four months to really research it and make sure we felt comfortable in saying, you know, what it was. So it took a lot of research. And uh, in February, we felt comfortable. So we've been putting this auction together for, you know, about four or five months. But it, it was a, a phenomenal auction, a lot of energy in the room. And, um, you know, in the press, it's always fun when you can generate a lot of exposure and, and positive press about the industry. Right. Yeah. And I saw an interview with you guys, I think, yesterday. And so this this was the first piece that you sold that, w- that went over a million dollars. Is that correct? That's exactly right. I mean, we've come close and we've been associated. We've done projects at Sotheby's where we've helped them on projects, but it wasn't uh, just uh, Julian. So it was the first item that we as an auction house have sold over a million dollars. So it was, it was exciting. And, you know, we're, we're, um, we take an approach, you know, we want to be long-term and steady. And, you know, so a lot of times your goals, it takes a little while to get there, but Martin and I made it a goal actually about a year ago that we really wanted in the next uh, few years to sell something for over a million. And, and we did it. We've come close a few times, but um, but it was very exciting. And in terms of Michael Jackson memorabilia, is this the highest price realized then on, on anything that's been sold to date? It is. And, and, and also in music memorabilia, other than the, I think the John Lennon Imagine Piano, uh, which I believe sold for $2 million. So I, 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 you know, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's the second highest price paid for a uh, music uh, memorabilia artifact. Okay, and it was, it was 1.8, is that, am I remembering correctly, the figure? Yes, with Buyer's Premium, uh, it's 1.8 million that it sold for. Okay, yeah, because, you know, it's funny, um, the first album I ever bought in the third grade was actually Michael Jackson's Thriller album. <laughs> and uh, the funny thing is when, um, actually, I, I think I might have mentioned 
this to you before, like maybe a week before that catalog came out, I was kind of thinking about music memorabilia and, and what some of the top pieces might be. And I was thinking like the three primary costumes from, you know, those videos, Billie Jean, Beat It and Thriller. So, and then that popped up and I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, th- those would be, you know, the most iconic as far as Michael Jackson. But, you know, what we found, you know, we do a lot of music memorabilia, um, and Sotheby's actually helped get us started in that um, about 10 years ago. And um, it's it, there's not a lot of auction houses in music memorabilia, whereas you see the Hollywood memorabilia, there's, you know, a lot of online auctions. It's saturated on eBay. But rock and roll memorabilia is a little bit, it's a completely different group than and buyers than the Hollywood memorabilia market. And, uh, um, but anything, you know, associated with Michael Jackson out of any other artist, I, I mean, his, his fan base and the collector base worldwide is unlike any other uh, celebrity. Right, yeah, and that's what's really interesting to me because I'm into music as much as I am films and, you know, it kind of makes me wonder why it hasn't caught on as much as the movie memorabilia has. Because to me, music's more accessible. It's more universal, you know, and, and I think real top albums, you know, just have such a infinite shelf life, you know, and you don't really see a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, well, you know, and Christie's does a good job. Um, you know, Christie's, I would say, in, in even movie memorabilia and rock and roll, Christie's would be our biggest competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually, I mean, 90, 95% of the time when we're up against a, a big piece or a collection, it's against Christie's. And what I always, you know, tell people, they ask me, well, well, what, you know, Christie's is, I'm working with them and, you know, what's the difference between your auction house and theirs? And I can honestly always say, I, you know, I can't say anything bad about Christie's because right. they do a great job and they, you know, Generally, though, we'll give a little bit more attention as far as to detail with, um, you know, larger page spreads, the marketing. You know, and, and Christie's is a 300-year-old company, mm-hmm. and they have to focus on a lot of different areas. Right. Where that's one advantage we have over them is that we just focus in this area. And so we give a lot more attention uh, to the pieces, to the collection, to, the, you know, and sometimes the, the celebrities. But, you know, Christie's does a great job. I mean, they've sold some things that are, are really remarkable um, and continue to do so. So in this area, I, I you know, I, I really can only say that they're our true competitor. And there's other, uh, you know, Sotheby's has gotten in, you know, they just sold recently some of the John Lennon lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, we were up against them to get those. Um, you know, it came down to they offered a lower commission. And they, I think they brought like 1.2 million. But mm-hmm. again, uh, you know, I, Sotheby's were very close to Sotheby's. So, um, and we really wouldn't be the auction house that we are if it hadn't been, you know, first starting me working with Sotheby's. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good companies out there, auction houses, and um, you know, and like I said, Sotheby's and Christie's. It's really great for us because we've been associated with both but yet we compete at different levels on different collections. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like you have a lot of really good um, relationships in the industry with other auction houses from you know talking to, talking to them as well. It seems like you're very um, well-regarded kind of in that field. Well, thanks. And, you know, when I first came out here, I, 
I, uh, uh, I started talking to some of our competitors, and you know, some of them you know became very friendly with. And Bottoms is another good example. Uh, you know, they're here in Los Angeles, and um, you know, Margaret Barrett, when she worked there, uh, had a very good relationship with her, and continued to have a good relationship with Bottoms. And and Margaret, and I was happy to see that Margaret went over to Heritage because you know, Heritage, you know, it's it's like uh, some of the other auction houses where they try to do what's right. Um, and they're building, you know, trying to build their brand mm-hmm. and it's sometimes having the right people in place to make sure that, you know, they're looking at authenticity, they're doing the research. And one thing about Margaret working at heritage is that uh, there's not going to be anything that's questionable or, uh, of concern that's going to get, you know, in the front door because she's very diligent. Mm-hmm. And I think it's healthy in this industry, you know, to have competitors that you're friendly with. And, you know, often, you know, like Margaret's somebody that I email and ask her questions about Merrill Monroe signatures because I don't know how to look at a Merrill Monroe signature and tell whether it's authentic. And so she's one of the top people in that field. Um, and we get a lot of great Merrill Monroe stuff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and she does the same thing with us. So I think it's healthy in this industry. Right. Sometimes, you know, um, you know, Margaret, when she was at Bonham's, got the Grateful Dead collection, which uh, we were never offered that, but that's a real coup. You know, that, that was a great sale, and they did a great job. You know, so it, the good thing about this industry is there's enough business for all the competitors to be successful. The biggest thing, responsibility that we have as auction houses is to make sure that we do our due diligence, we don't sell items that are questionable, and that, you know, we protect this industry because, you know, one bad item or uh, a big item that's focused on that there's any concerns, it, it puts a black eye on this industry. Right. Yeah. Because the, the press can really jump on that. And then that's kind of the perception of, you know, that's what people are going to remember is that bad piece that you know was sold for a big sum of money. Exactly. And, you know, I'm always, you know, fortunately, I mean, I, I have some of the best coworkers um, that really uh, they enjoy their job and they do a great job. But um, uh, like the Thriller Jacket, for example, we went through the details of that in the history. You know, even though the provenance where it came from is solid, you can't always trust that. Right. Um, you know, we had a, uh, a very A-list celebrity that consigned something to us several years ago. And... It, you know, it was from a, a very significant um, uh, part of their, their career. And we went through it, and, you know, there were some changes made to the piece, and, you know, it it, it just didn't match up. But mm-hmm. it was coming from them. So we were, you know, we really wanted to believe it was real. Then after more research, we found out where the original was. And it wasn't that the celebrity was trying to mislead us. It was just that... They didn't remember, and they right. thought that they always maintained and, and kept the original one. And, you know, it's those kind of things where you really have to make sure because, you know, uh, like if we had sold the Thriller Jacket and there was any question, um, I, I, would, I would be devastated. You know, that's right. something that, uh, um, you know, you always be associated with the items that you sell as an auction house, and so reputation means everything. Yeah. So now how how did you get started in this business and kind of what's your, what's your history? How did you, you know, get 
interested in you know entertainment memorabilia like where did it all begin with you well uh, i'm more of an entrepreneur and a businessman than i am uh fascinated with entertainment memorabilia uh-huh. um and i i have a long history with auctions i grew up in indiana and I used to run a company out of Indiana uh, where we sold classic cars. Okay. And as part of the classic cars, I would, uh, you know, I got to know Jay Leno, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Larry Hagman, Johnny Cash, and, you know, a lot of other celebrities because we would sometimes sell cars for them and to them. And it was always an event that we'd put together. And, you know, I enjoyed the aspect of creating something that the world would hear about. Uh-huh. Uh, so as far as an event. So that's how I got started in the auctions. And then a lot of the relationships that I had with celebrities led me out to California. Um, I got to know several key people at Sotheby's in New York. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, being in the auctions, it was always, uh, for me, a, a goal to someday work with Sotheby's. And so I had, uh, they flew me to New York a couple of times, had meetings. And they were, at the time, starting Sotheby's.com. And that, I think that was 1999. And they had hired me on a contract to come out here. And basically, it was just to work with celebrity collections and celebrity clients to feed Sotheby's.com with content. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Sotheby's.com didn't really work out overall. The, you know, the collectibles part of it was a huge success. But... People, you know, didn't want to buy, you know, ten, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar paintings online. They wanted right. to, you know, those always did a lot better in the live auctions. So, uh, um, then they they dissolved Sotheby's.com, and I made a proposal to Sotheby's, and I said, well, you know, why don't I, uh, you know, hire some of the people that you're letting go in New York, and put together this business plan where. Um, we're an associate, and we just put together high-profile auctions with, with you. And so they like that idea because, you know, Chrissy's and Sotheby's both, I think it's a challenge, especially in Los Angeles, working with the celebrities because they're in New York and based out of New York. And celebrity clients can be high-maintenance. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to – it's something you have to be hands-on with. So that's really what got us started and – you know, to this day, Sotheby's still refers a lot of clients to us uh, that are looking to sell. Um, you know, we, do, we haven't done a co-branded sale with Sotheby's since 2007, but, um, you know, we still have a very, very uh, good relationship with them. So what were some of your um, first auction events like, and what, when, when did those start? Well, because we used to, with the classic car auctions, we used to do auctions and Scottsdale, Arizona, we'd have them in London. Um, you know, I was already familiar with the process of what it took to set up and do an auction off-site, um, which is really not an easy thing to do. Um, but we had kind of mastered it with the car auctions. And so uh, the first auction that we did off-site with Sotheby's was a Muhammad Ali sale we did in Las Vegas. And I had explained to uh, Sotheby's New York, I mean, Dunbar at the time, I had said, you know, we should do this in Vegas. It's, it was some great Muhammad Ali property. It came out of Drew Bundini's estate, who was his uh, cornerman. Mm-hmm. And 
um, I said, let's do it around the De La, uh, De La Hoya Vargas fight because it was a heavily promoted fight. We can do it at MGM Grand. I had some uh, relationships with MGM where, um, you know, they always said if we wanted to do something at the casino there. And, you know, Lee was very, very open-minded uh, when she ran the collectibles department at Sotheby's. So it's something we put together. It got huge press. Um, this collection of, I think it was uh, 70 items sold for around 900 and some thousand dollars. Hmm. So it was a huge success. And, you know, for me as an auction, like I didn't get credit for that because I was working with Sotheby's, but that was fine. That's how, you know, I got started. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, Barbara Streisand had, we were, you know, I, I had met Barbara Streisand 20 some years ago. And, um, uh, and she's very, she, she's a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, she knows what she wants as far as, you know, she has this reputation of being very difficult, but that's only because she's a perfectionist at everything that she does. And one of the qualities that I really like about her is she's extremely loyal. Mm-hmm. If you work with her on something, you do right by her, she'll always work with you. And so I had approached her about her and Marty Ehrlichman, and I said, well, uh, you know, I know Barbara wants to do a sale, but I'd really like to do it on our own as, as Julian's, Julian Entertainment at the time. Uh-huh. And it really wasn't, you know, they, they had worked with me before, and I've done, I had done some things. And Barbara didn't really didn't have a problem with it, and um, so we we got the contract, we put the sale together, and it was a huge success for our first one. But you know, I always look back, and one of the reasons, you know, and a lot of the other celebrities look at us and they say, "Well, if if you worked with Barbara Streisand, and and she likes what you've done, you obviously know what you're doing." Right. So uh, Marty said to me one day, Marty Ehrlichman discovered her you know, when she, was, when she was 16 years old. And he said to me one day, he says, Darren, you probably won't make money on Barbara. You'll make money because of her. Right. And that, that was a very true statement because, you know, some of the other celebrities, you know, Cher, uh, you know, uh, Madonna, some of the other celebrities we've worked with, they all know that we've worked with Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. So how did you kind of develop your brand over the years? Um, well, I'm, I'm more of a marketer. Like I, I get fascinated with the marketing of something. Uh-huh. So often, you know, I, and that's why this industry is good for what we do because it's heavily marketing that really helps promote these sales and that brings the big prices a lot of times. And so, you know, and I often say we're more of a marketing company than we are an auction house. Mm-hmm. So... I always enjoyed that aspect of it, and I think, you know, Laura Woolley, who uh, she has her own company, The Collector's Lab, um, she used to work at Sotheby's, and I got to know her early on, and she was someone that really kind of helped us uh, establish our, our look, our brand, our logo, um, you know, gave it more of a, a cachet than what I was able to do, so it was really more, you know, surrounding yourself with good people. And Laura is somebody who's done a lot for us. She actually works with the, with the other auction houses as well. She does a lot of consulting for Bonhams, for Heritage, for, for Christie's, for Sotheby's. And um, 
so, you know, she was very key in helping us develop our brand early on and then just, uh, uh, you know, some of the celebrities we've worked with, you know, that they've given us, you know, shares, another one that um, I've known over the years. And, you know, when you're associated with somebody at that level um, and it's known around the world, it's, it's pretty easy to develop your own brand if you're associated with them. Right. Now, you have kind of a mix of different kinds of auction events. You've got some more estate or, you know, single celebrity sort of sales. And then you've got some that are a mix of, you know, that as well as consignments um, from collectors and studios and whatnot. What are your thoughts on um, kind of the success of those different, you know, styles of auctions? And, and what are kind of the key differences and how those are put together and um, what what kind of an audience you attract? So obviously, you know, if it's if it's just a single celebrity or musician, um, you know, it's, it's going to cater to a really specific audience, whereas, you, you know, your more general sales, it's a lot more broad. Yeah, well, in order to really um, diversify and to do more auctions, like we, we, there's no way the market could bear us doing a world-class uh, Hollywood and rock and roll auction every month or every other month. You know, you, you just, and it's difficult to put those sales together, especially if they're multi-consignment, um, because a lot of research goes behind the items and putting the collections together. And sometimes you're dealing with 100 consignors for an auction. Right. Um, so we... You know, and again, because of our co-branded sales that we did with Sotheby's and Christie's, really, um, we were able to establish a brand that we could sell, you know, high-end artwork and high-end jewelry. Um, and, you know, when we did those sales, we were able to harvest those clients. And a lot of those clients, you know, by, uh, you know, contemporary artwork and impressionists, so... You know, there's a big crossover in that market. And then, you know, uh, it comes to the issue of the specialty of, you know, appraising or evaluating and authenticating artworks a lot different than authenticating memorabilia. Mm-hmm. So, and again, because of our relationship with Sotheby's, um, we've sometimes hired their staff to uh, consult with us. Um, we have a person that works with us now, Becca Markman, who um, she's at the high end of the appraisal um, uh, market where she she's her certification's at the top of the appraisals. Mm-hmm. So she's she knows what she's doing, and she does all of our cataloging, all of our authentication, um, and it really uh, helps us to diversify to be able to do these sales and. You know, recently we did a sale for Larry Hagman. Now, it wasn't a big auction. Uh, Larry's somebody I've been friends with for, um, he and Linda Gray both for uh, almost 20 years. And um, so it wasn't, you know, a lot of times it's not about making sense to do the auction, you know, monetarily. Um, In fact, a lot of times we'll turn down a high-value collection or something because we can't facilitate her to do it right. If we can't do it first class, we're not going to. But in this case with Larry, he was a friend, and um, uh, and I knew the marketing could be big. And uh, so we put that sale together. It took us just a, a couple months. 
And, you know, and it, it did very well. But I think it's important that we continue, especially with our new Beverly Hills Gallery, that we continue to pump out auctions that are high-quality, first-class, well-marketed, um, and that help build our brand. Because, you know, if we just focus on trying to sell things like the Thriller Jacket, um, we're going to miss out of continuing to build our, our brand in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And another interesting thing you've done is is um, in regards to venue, you know, because you obviously do things in Beverly Hills. You've done a lot of events in Vegas, and then you've done what um, really no one else is doing is going overseas. Um, and, you know, how does that factor in, and, and how did that work out as far as reaching... Um, reaching out, you know, to people in, in other countries and um, kind of taking this pop culture out of the country and, and sort of seeing what kind of an audience, you know, is receptive to, to collecting this material. Yeah, well, you know, it, it's the overseas market's very difficult to get in, involved in. And again, it's, it's about relationships where a lot of times we work with the same people, um, uh, just because we have a good relationship with them, and it's really those relationships then that open up the doors. And um, you know, for example, Newbridge Silverware in Ireland—they um, built their museum because of a concept of uh, you know we were we were in Ireland doing an auction, promoting our auction that we're doing with U2, mm-hmm. and uh, we met with them at, at the Clarence, which is a hotel owned by Bono and Edge, and. They came to us with these ideas, these drawings, and they were going to build this museum. And uh, so it was something, and, and they were thinking that it would help their brand to be able to be associated with our auction house and also to do their own museum. And it's now the third largest tourist attraction in all of Ireland. Wow. And, and that's, you know, and it's really good for the industry because it opens people up to not only be able to see these items, but the exposure that you can collect these items. So a lot of times we do exhibitions there, um, you know, same in Santiago, Chile. Uh, and in, in China, you know, Asia is a really different animal, completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Um, we've actually done exhibitions in Japan for the past five years. And it's the first time we did it, it took about two years to put together because they're very skeptical, especially of American uh, companies. Uh-huh. And so we started off with doing some small exhibitions because we had a relationship with Robert Earl and Planet Hollywood. They let us do the first one at their location in Disney, uh, Disneyland in Tokyo. So off of that, we got TV Asahi to start to sponsor us and, um, so we've done exhibitions there for the past five years. And then we got to know, uh, you know, Stanley Ho's group, which Stanley owns a lot of the casinos in Macau. And they said, well, we would like to maybe do an auction in China. And we explained to them that, you know, it's, it, it's a difficult process. Um, and we wanted to make sure that uh, we had items that were specific to the Asian culture. Mm-hmm. So last year was the first time that we did an auction in China. In fact, we're the only, you know, a lot of times you'll see like Sotheby's, Christie's, and some of the other auction houses do auctions in Hong Kong. But you don't see them necessarily in mainland China. Right. 
And that's because, you know, it's government-controlled, so it's a very difficult process to get licensed in China to do an auction uh, and, and not be a, uh, you know, to be an American company. Right. So that was a lengthy process with the Chinese government. And so now we're approved to do auctions there, and we, we plan on continuing to build that marketplace. And, you know, China's a big country. And just because you come out with a press release here in the States that you're selling Michael Jackson's thriller jacket or whatever doesn't mean that you reach all those people mm-hmm. uh, in mainland China who have, who have a lot of money and who would like to collect Western pop culture. So by us being there, it really gets the word out as opposed to, you know, like I said, just putting out a press release here. But when you're there and you have the highlights and you're conducting interviews, um, it really makes a difference in building the marketplace. So how challenging is it to um, kind of, like, did you have a translator? Do, do the people you interacted with there generally speak English as well? Or, I mean, was there, was there like a language barrier um, obstacle to overcome in trying to do business in another country like that? Yeah, it's very difficult, especially in Japan. China's actually easier than Japan because Japan, very few people speak English. Uh-huh. Um, where China, um, you have Mandarin, Cantonese, but lang- English is the second language for most people in China. Um, you get into more of the rural areas of mainland China, uh, it's not the case. But, um, you know, but we still need translators uh uh, because sometimes things get, even though they might understand English, things can get misinterpreted. Right. So, um, so we do have tra- translators that travel with us uh, typically. But, um, you know, the, the bottom line is, like with anything else, especially over there, it's integrity. I mean, you know, the, the Asian culture is a much different culture than it is here. Right. Uh, but, and, and they're very skeptical of Americans. American uh, companies because, you know, Americans generally, you know, business can sometimes be a game where they're more, it's more about what can I get out of you rather than what can I build to get, what can we build together? Right. And so Martin and I take the approach, you know, with anybody that we work with is how can we build this so that it's good for both of us so that we can continue to do it. And now that we've had, uh, you know, the first auction over there, and, you know, we did several exhibitions with um, uh, Stanley Ho's group uh, prior to this. So they have a huge comfort level in working with us that we're going to follow through on everything we, we're, you know, say we're going to do. Um, but also authenticity over there is much more uh, scrutinized than it is here. Hmm. And I, I think, which I find interesting because a lot of times you'll see things that are mass-produced or knockoffs come out of Asia or China. But collectors at this level, and maybe that's why, because they realize that there's a lot of fraud out there. Right. Um, they want to know the history of where you you got something. They ask more questions. Interesting. Than what they generally do here, and uh, you know, and, and I think in general, you know, like the Hollywood market, uh, because there's so much available. Um, I, I find in the states, especially, people don't ask the right questions as much as what. Um, you know, uh, collectors in other countries do or, or collectors at the high-end level. Right. 
Interesting. So you've got your Julian's live auction product where people can bid online. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to start that and sort of how it compares with some of the third-party services that people use that don't have their own um, you know, in-house solution to online bidding? Yeah, I mean, one of the main reasons that we did that is, you know, we, we had worked with some of the other platforms, and it, it was frustrating because we would, number one, the way that, that they, uh, the technology worked, I was very frustrated with, mm-hmm. um, with some of the other uh, platforms. But also, when we would do these exhibitions, or you started doing exhibitions like in Japan, for example, we were reaching people that no one else had. So it, and the only way that they can participate is online or by phone. So if they're online, that means that they participate through one of the uh, online platforms that, that make themselves available to all auction houses. Mm-hmm. And so when we were out building our brand, harvesting these clients, that means the next time that um, one of these platforms did an auction for somebody else, that other company was getting our new clients. Right. So we about, I, I, I mean, before we really started doing the overseas, we, we, we made a significant investment into our own technology, and, and we continue to build upon it now. Um, but it's, you know, we're very proud of it. We have very few issues. Um, you know, we're still, you know, it's like a work in progress, but, um, you know, the notification system I think is better than anything else that's out there. The, uh, you know, just many aspects uh, about it in general, um, you know, cause we, we, we get a lot of clients, especially overseas that participate online. And it's a significant part of our business, and it's important that that uh, runs smoothly. So it, it's a control issue as well, where you know sometimes, like if you give feedback to one of the platforms that you know I'd like it to do this, you know they're not as open. Whereas if you own your technology or the platform that you're working on, then you have control to make changes and do what you want. Mm-hmm. Now yours has um, streaming audio and video. Yes, it does. Because I know a lot, that's in the collector community, that's a big complaint is that some of the other um, platforms have no audio, no video. And, and I think in a lot of cases, it's an option you know, for the auction house. But it always seemed to me like if you're bidding online, you actually want to see what's going on in the room. So it seems like people are really um, kind of handicapped in that regard if, if you know, they're basically just seeing a dollar amount change on the screen and, and there's no other... Um, context for what's going on, you know, actually on location at the event. Yeah, well, you can't get into the excitement and, and feel what's in the room. And even our phone bidders, we encourage them to watch as they're on the phone with us phone bidding. Um, because most of the real significant, you know, money comes from the phones more than, you know, people want to make sure if they're going to be spending. Right. They don't want any miscommunication with the Internet. So it really, and you, you know, it's almost as if you were there. So we could have somebody that's in Russia that's watching the auction live and phone bidding, and they get caught up in the excitement right. like everybody else. And, and that's really what you want. You know, you want to create an event. The other thing, you know, it, what the online does, you know, we, we don't want it to be a stuffy auction house where, you know, everybody has to be quiet or you know, you feel uncomfortable going in because, you know, we want it to be fun. You want it to be right. a party. And, and, and a, a, you want the atmosphere to be electrifying. 
And when you do that and you have it streaming online, like I said, people all over the world that are watching it can experience that same excitement. And I think, you know, auctions, you know, it's it's not something that people are used to in Asia and, you know, certain parts of Russia. Like, they have auctions, but it's opening them up to this new world where they can actually, you know, participate, have fun, and be experienced to a, a new form of collecting. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the stuff you guys sell is classified more as like celebrity owned like with your more estate style auctions Mm -hmm. and then you've got things that were actually used in movies is there kind of a collector base that is more interested in celebrity owned pieces versus things used in movies and you know kind of what's the crossover um with those two different you know types of products um you know there there is a crossover where sometimes you know like somebody, I'll give you an example, when we did shares auction, there was an old master painting that was worth about 40000 I think we sold it for over 100 Um, And the reason was that a fan of shares bought it, who has a very, uh, 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 you know, he's not somebody that would, that would display a dress. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, but he has a very nice house, um, or a mansion, I should say. Um and it was, he bought it, he got more excited because he can, you know, it's a conversation piece. It becomes something that, you know, people walk through the house and say, oh, by the way, this was shares, you know. And when you're a fan of somebody, you know, we all have somebody that we're a fan of, you know, or, or we admire their work or their career. And so I think at that level is where the crossover is. But, um, you know, those aren't the people that are going to be buying memorabilia that are looking at it as, um, you know, something they have to have, uh, like I said, to display a mannequin in their house or whatever. Um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, and it just broadens that, that it broadens this market because you open it up then to people that normally wouldn't collect these items. And, and it is fun, you know, it becomes something fun that you can, you can own something that a celebrity had or was part of their possession or part of their life even. And it, there's a certain value to that over and above the actual value of the piece. Mm-hmm. And um, you had mentioned Planet Hollywood. What What is your relationship with Planet Hollywood? Um, you know, we've done a lot of stuff with them in Vegas. Uh, Robert Earl's a, a friend. Um, and, you know, it's somebody that I've known for a long time. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, things at their restaurant in New York as well. Um, but not... Um, you know, and they've bought in our auctions. Uh, so it's, it's a very uh, good professional and personal relationship. And what do you think is ultimately, I know they have a, just a ton of material. What do you think is ultimately going to happen to that entire collection? Like, do you think uh, they're going to sell things at some point or, you know, open not, a museum? Sure. or? Yeah, not sure. I mean, I think Robert is, Robert's a very smart man. Um, I, I know he's always got, uh, things that he's worked on. He's an entrepreneur, you know, he's not somebody, you know, he likes, you know, when you come up with ideas and what makes somebody successful like Robert Earl is that he doesn't give up mm-hmm. and he keeps trying new things. And, you know, uh, Planet Hollywood, uh, resort and casino in Las Vegas is one of the most successful casinos in Las Vegas. I mean, they've done very well and, 
so I think he's, you know, more about the branding. Um, and uh, but it's hard to say in the future, you know, what will happen with the items, or you know, Robert continues. I mean, Robert's a collector too; he loves this stuff. So and he's very charitable. So I, I know a lot of times he does uh, things for his, you know, several foundations, including charities that his wife supports. Um, but it's hard to say long term what will happen. Um, but you know, Robert's put together a, a serious collector collection. And he's one of those people that collected early on before anybody realized that it was going to take off to what it is now. Right. So how how do you think the um, the the hobby and collecting's changed over like the last five years with the downturn of the economy? Like, what are some of the the biggest things you've seen, um, you know, as far as the impact from the from the economy in terms of values, who's collecting, um, you know, and just sort of the the growth of the hobby over the last five years yeah i mean i i think it's it's increasing into more of a a serious hobby um you know it used to be something just for fun and conversation and it was the the geeks that would collect you know props or costumes <laughs> and now i think it's become more you know where people do look at it as a form of investing mm-hmm. um and marketing you know again what what newbridge silverware is doing in ireland you know they they have serious uh seriously increased their profile and their uh traffic flow because of the museum and what they're doing um and they've amassed this collection that's worth more money than what they paid for it because you know so it's become an investment itself and so i I think it's become you know more sophisticated on the high-end level um you know, and, and plus, and I, I'd like to think that we've had something to do with it. I know Sotheby's and Christie's have had a lot to do with it because, you know, they're a very high-end brand. I mean, it goes back to, like with us, that we, you know, if, if a celebrity or a collection, you know, somebody wants something thrown together quickly or they need money or uh, they just, you know, want to get it out there, we're not the auction house. It, it doesn't matter what the value of the collection is. And I think Sotheby's and Christie's, operate the same way, but I, I think when you when you look at it that way and you put together really nice catalogs, really nice presentation, you market it properly, that it, it helps elevate the industry. Um, and I, I think it's important, though, too, that you don't just make it look like it's just for people that are wealthy. You know, that's why it's important that you, you know, I think you open it up to the fan bases, and the Internet's very important to that. You know that people can come in just because they're a fan. They want to watch. They don't necessarily have to spend. And you know, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter has helped you know a lot as far as getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you know, really, I think the quality level of the property, the presentation, and making yourselves accessible is really important to continue to elevate this industry. Um, you know, because I remember too when when we would do when we've done auctions of Sotheby's and Christie's. Um, you know, some of the fans would email once in a while and say, well, you know, I, I, I know I probably can't get in. And I'd ask the question, well, why don't you think you can get in? Well, I'm not at that level. And that's what I think we have to continue to change um, and make it more of a, uh, you know, make it so that fans can come. And you never know down the road, you know, those fans become serious collectors because you make it a good experience for them. Right. So when you're putting together an auction, do you have that in mind, like having kind of a spread of estimated values, you know, price points 
in order to sort of um, attract a broader audience of, of people? Oh, absolutely. And that's where, you know, a lot of the celebrities, too, you know, Michael Jackson was very, you know, when we were putting together the Neverland auction, um, that was a very important thing to him, is that there were lower-end items. Mm -hmm. Because he doesn't, he didn't want, you know, his comment to me was, I don't want any of my fans to think that they're uh, not important. They're not important. And so I do think that's important. And so it's okay if you have items that sell for $100 or $300. It doesn't make the auction house money, but it creates a level of um, goodwill, I think, with the fans that they can say, hey, I I was able to buy something, you know, in shares auction. Right. You know, and, and you know, and that level of goodwill, and like I said, you, you never know. I mean, there's people that are friends of mine that, you know, five years ago couldn't afford to build a collection. Now they've been very successful, so they do start to collect. And it's all about the experience of, you know, making it a good experience for somebody. You know, if a collector buys something that's questionable as far as authenticity or uh, that they find out later is fake, you know, that that ultimately, instantly can make somebody want to never buy something again. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the biggest uh, responsibility, like I said, of the auction houses is to thoroughly do your due diligence. So in terms of authenticating pieces, you know, you're putting in your auction house, what do you think you do that kind of um, differs from your competition, if, if anything? Um, well, again, you know, Sotheby's and Christie's, they use some of the same people. So I, I think I've learned from them, really. And then, uh, you know, there's no one expert on everything. Exactly. That, that was the biggest, uh, I, I guess, when I got in this industry, um, you know, kind of surprised me. And, and, you know, that you'd think somebody has a good reputation because they know something about Maryland or, uh, you know, whatever, that, that translates into other areas, but it doesn't. And you have to know the, the people to go to, and that's, again, why good relationships are important, is that you can feel free to be able to go back to the right people and ask for a favor or ask for help. Um, you know, like James Commissar, I know uh, you did an uh, uh, interview with him a few weeks back. Mm-hmm. James is one of the most meticulous people when it comes to television memorabilia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a really good resource. Um, and, you know, so it's really, it, it, it's knowing the right people where to go and just being surrounded by good, honest, ethical people. Because, you know, it, the people that work with us, whether it be uh, on staff or as consultants, you know, I really get across to them, you know, don't tell us what we want to hear. Right. Tell us the truth. If there's something bad or of concern, we want to know about it because we don't want to sell something great and then have all these question marks about it. You know, and, and again, like, you know, I use the thriller jacket as an example. Um, when During the process of authenticating this, we realized that there were two thriller jackets made. And... Um, so we felt it was important that we state that. So it says in our description where the other one is, who owns it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that way then you remove all doubt. So now the new buyer of this one, he's not going to come back and say, oh, you know, I found out there's another one. Right. I'm, de- I'm devastated. You know, he knows there's another one. So he, we have full disclosure that, uh, you know, what's out there. And, 
you know, and like I said, and that's what will keep him continuing to buy is that you make it a good experience and, um, you know, in full disclosure. Mm-hmm. So in just the last two weeks, we had, you know, the Marilyn Monroe dress sold for, you know, with a premium over $5 million, and then you, you'd sold the Thriller jacket. Mm-hmm. And uh, even in kind of the historic artifacts side, there's that original Billy the Kid photo that sold, I think, for over $2 million. Do you think that there's kind of new money coming into collecting, you know, as an investment? Because it seems like there's sort of been an escalation of, the ceiling of what things are selling for recently. Yeah, I definitely, I think it's new money and it's awareness. You know, I think the internet helps, you know, create, um, you know, so people know, you know, there's a lot of fans of Western pop culture all over the world. And, you know, so I, I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the items that are bought today do go overseas. Mm-hmm. They go outside of the United States. Um, and, you know, and again, it's important that, you know, especially if they're the first time that you make it a, a good experience and make them feel welcome and that it's a fun hobby and that if you're buying from a respectable auction house, you don't have to worry about authenticity. Right. So do you, do you think this is going to be a trend that escalates or do you think we've kind of hit a new plateau and the really key, um, I know it's an overused term, but iconic and really you know important pieces are... Um, going to attract this level of money or maybe more? I mean, what kind of, what are your thoughts on, on where we're going? Um, um, yeah, I, I think it'll continue to increase or, or could increase, steadily increase. But again, that's uh, at the responsibility, I think, of the auction houses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, I mean, we have a lot of clients that have bought from us over the past 10 years and they continue to buy from us. Um, and, you know, that level of goodwill you can't just be looking at new people all the time you got to rely on your your uh uh your base of clients and then there's always new money i mean every auction there's new people that participate in in our auctions and it's it's just you know i I think it'll continue to increase as you know like we do exhibitions overseas and you know there's auction houses like sotheby's and christie's that are um, you know, continue to be in the field. I mean, I was really upset when Sotheby's discontinued their collectibles department, but, it, you know, obviously we it, it helped us in a lot of ways. But then Christie's also discontinued their New York department, which I was very upset about that. And, you know, I said that to somebody, you know, when I found the news that found out that they were going to close it down. And they said, well, that should make you happy. And I said, no, because, you know, somebody, a company that's as respectable and has a brand like Christie's that are in this marketplace shows the seriousness of it. And, you know, uh, and, and they do a good job. I mean, you know, they're going to be doing the, uh, I think, the Elizabeth Taylor estate sale. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's great for this industry um, to have somebody at that level. I mean, we'll, as far as Julian's, we'll never be a Christie's or Sotheby's. Number one, I don't have 300 years to, <laughs> to build it. And, Number two, that's not our, 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 our goal or our niche. Right. And, you know, for an auction house uh, like Christie's to be in this platform and to do a good job like they do really helps keep this industry healthy. Now, some, some of the pieces that sell for a lot of money, do you get a sense, you know, being on the, the auctioneer side, that 
maybe someone gets excited about a particular event they heard about in the media and you know want to get a piece of that or maybe they they want to make a single investment or um, is that kind of the start of something bigger where it sort of captures their imagination and then they become more regular collectors of this kind of material? Um, a little bit of both. And again, it goes back to making sure that it's a good experience for them because if, if it is a good experience for them and they have fun with it, chances are that they'll be back mm-hmm. and they'll do it again. Um, and so our goal is, you know, that when somebody buys it, you know, they turn it into a hobby or a collection or something that they enjoy. Um, and, you know, and we try hard not to oversell something to somebody, meaning, you know, if somebody uh, has a, a certain look style in their house and there's a piece that, you know, is great but doesn't fit into their collection, you know, chances are you're going to talk them into it, they're going to get excited, but then be sorry down the road that they bought it. Right. And that, you know, we really, we do want to avoid situations like that. Um, but then when they get excited and do it on their own, there's, you know, we can't control that. Um, but there's always a level of, with all auctions, there's a level of buyer's remorse or people did get into the excitement. Right. And, you know, but that's also part of uh, the experience. Right. And so we, we always encourage people to be smart about their collecting and make sure that it's right for you. Um, so that you look at it as a long-term and not just the quick um, split-second reaction to try to get something that you think you'll like. Right. Now, you, you said that you got into this more as a business pursuit. Is, is there any particular thing that you've come across that you wanted to buy, or, or do you, have you collected anything from you know your own auctions or other auctions for yourself? Um, you know, we, we have a warehouse full of stuff. I mean... <laughs> so it's and it's not you know owned by us. We we feel it's a conflict of interest if we own the property, uh-huh. and not to say that sometimes you know like we a consigner needs money, we pay them, and then we end up don't get paid for it. That we sell something that we own, you know that's standard. But we don't try to build our own collection and and sell our own stuff. I right. think that's a huge conflict of interest, um, and that makes it you more of a dealer than an auction house. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, but having said that, there are times where I get excited about something. Um, uh, in fact, on Sunday, when the, thrill, when the Jackson stuff was being sold, I was phone bidding the Bonhams auction. Um, <laughs> you know, I, was, I, I love auctions. And, yeah. And sometimes I make, you know, I, and I try to buy smart just like things that I would like or, um, you know, but I don't necessarily collect memorabilia. I'm not a... Um, uh, you know, I have the, you know, when we sell something great, I don't feel like I have to own it because I've had it for six months. Right. Right. And, um, so it's not something that I, uh, uh, get caught up in necessarily myself, but sometimes I do buy something and and I look at it as an investment as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, you know, I, I try not to buy things in our own auction. Um, unless, you know, we, we notify, we, people know that we're going to be bidding on something or whatever, because I, I do feel it's a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. What's sort of your outlook on the rest of the year as far as, um, your auction events go? Cause it seems like you've been having something about once a month or so this year. Yeah. Well, part of the reason we, we got this space, we took over the, the Sotheby's location. They've been, they were here for about 15 years in Beverly Hills. And part of the reason we took over this space 
was because we were having to turn down collections. And again, it goes back to the model where if we can't do something right, we're not going to do it. Um, uh, you know, I, I think if we put out a bad sale or a bad catalog or things weren't done right, or um, it, it would reflect upon our brand and eventually hurt us down the road. So from our standpoint, we're trying to uh, look at it long term. So there was a lot of collections that were coming up, and we had to say, you know, I don't know when we're going to get to it. And um, so this space really allowed us to take on more, and now we have, uh, right now, over the next two years, we have contracts for eight single-owner sales. Wow. Um, which are big, you know, some of them are really big sales. And, you know, like I said, Christie's uh, uh, is our biggest competitor, um, really, I would say our only competitor in this marketplace with what we're doing. And, you know, they they get a lot of the big collections, and, and what's I think the space has allowed us to get some of them away from Christie's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we had one one. Uh, celebrities were very excited about working with and he wanted to do the auction this fall and I said well you know I can't because of everything else our other commitments that we have and his other option was to go with with Christie's or, or do something with Sotheby's and I explained I said well you know if you can wait and I, I can promise you one thing we'll do it first class you'll have one of the best catalogs that's ever been done, and we'll make sure that it's something you're proud about, proud of for for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more important to them, and that's more important to this industry than just throwing something together. And you know, I remember Cher when we were putting her catalog together, um, we were way behind in the deadline, and she said, uh, I, "I I got irritated, and I said, Cher, this auction may not happen." And she looked at me and she said, "Darren, this catalog." is going to outlive you and me. I want it to be the best thing anyone's ever seen. And to this day, it's one of the best catalogs. Mm-hmm. And so over commission, over anything else, a lot of times, you know, the celebrities want to make sure that they're associated with something first class. Right. And so that's really what we're about. And um, uh, and I, I think over the next you know, I mean, in the next six months, we've got a lot going on. We're we're going to be making a lot of good announcements. Um, but it's it's a lot. You know, everything we do, it's going to be stuff we're proud of, and it's hopefully going to just continue to translate into, you know, people getting excited to be in this industry, um, to get into collecting, and uh, you know, and, and we have you know, Martin and I have a lot of fun with this. This isn't something that, you know, we just look at. That we're just going to get in and someday get out of it, um, um, it, it, it we, it's not like we go to work every day right we have a lot of fun and <laughs> we you know the people around us i mean it's a, it's a family our our staff is uh more of a family than it is a uh, you know and that's what we want to create we don't want it to be um you know we want people to come in every day and enjoy themselves and and also the people that come into our gallery and into our our auctions that they go out of it thinking, wow, that was one of the most amazing experiences uh, I've ever been involved in. And and at the end of the day, that's what's important to the celebrities as well, that they, um, you know, they really want to make sure that whatever is done, you know, and you look at a level of a share or Barbara Streisand, they didn't get where they're at by just throwing something together. They, right. they got there 
because they're perfectionists and they're only going to be associated with the best. Right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to me today. It's really interesting um, just because I didn't even really know how you got started in the business myself. So um, it was fun for me. <laughs> so thanks for taking the time today. No, well, my pleasure. And thanks for having me on. And, and I, uh, I've not really gotten into the blog world as far as reading blogs. I get them forwarded uh, to me at times. <laughs> um, but I think it's, you know, an important, important part of this industry too, because, you know, you guys are the, the gatekeepers, so to speak. And, you know, I mean, we get emails sometimes, people asking us questions, hard questions. Mm. And I always say, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be, if, if we're defensive, when you ask a hard question, um, you know, there, there's, that's a concern for me, that if I'm going to get defensive about something, <clears throat> because somebody's bringing something to my attention. And I think there are a group of people that really, really care about this industry. And you know, that in the end of the day, that's what's going to protect it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I think, you know, continue to ask the hard questions. I think it's great. Oh, well, I appreciate that. <laughs> so uh, thank, thanks so much. And uh, I look forward to watching your auctions and, and seeing, you know, how things grow for you. And uh, um, I appreciate, again, I appreciate your time talking to me today. My pleasure. Again, thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to our program, Prop Talk. For the latest news about the world of original television and movie memorabilia, please visit us online at www.originalpropblog.com.